And uh, it was almost a totally Muslim area. And she, she's with us today, and she's going to be speaking tonight. But I'm going to invite her to come up and share just a little bit this morning. So let's welcome Kinsey back home. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you, Pastor. It's so good to be back in Wasilla. Um, and what a privilege and an honor it is that we can gather and worship the name of Jesus. Um, like Pastor said, my name is Kenzie Birkin. I am a missionary associate through the Assemblies of God. And for the past three years, I've been living on a little impoverished island off the coast of East Africa that is 99.9% Islamic. It's an unreached people group, and I went in as an English teacher, and I was part of a Live Dead team. Now, when you live on the island, you do things as islanders do. And so something islanders love is greetings. So every time you'd see someone, you wouldn't just say, hey, how are you? No, you'd ask about their village. You'd ask about their health, about their troubles, about their work. You name it. You get all the information. And so as I walked places, I had to remember, okay, this is only a mile away, but it's going to take me a half hour or anywhere to an hour along the lava rock paths. But in the morning, there was a unique greeting. Yehujuha, which means, did you wake up? Now, obviously, yes, I woke up. I'm standing <laughs> right in front of you. But they would ask this because historically, people would die in the night. So you'd say, did you wake up? Did your family wake up? Did your grandma wake up? It was all part of the morning routine. Now, I believe that this simple greeting was so much more than just a physical, did you get out of bed? No, I believe it reveals such a deeper spiritual reality. You see these beautiful, hospitable island people that became my neighbors, my friends, my mamas, my grandmamas. They walked through their life in a spiritual slumber steeped in Islam. Mm -hmm. Mornings began on the island at 4.30 a.m. as the call to prayer from the mosque would ring in the streets that Allah was God and it was time to get up. It was time to do your washings, and it was time to pray at the mosque. And this happened five times of, of the day in the streets. You see, people every single day, five times a day, walked through their life like they were sleepwalking. Now, it was my privilege and my honor to live and labor amongst these unreached people, and most of them, because of government restrictions, have never met a Christian, ever. They've never heard the gospel. And so as I live and labored, many of them rejected the message because of the spiritual veil of Islam. But there was one. During Christmas, I was dripping sweat <laughs> with the humidity of the island over my little African stove making Christmas cookies. I had planned to make these cookies and give them to all my neighbors as an excuse to share about Christmas because the nation literally does not have a shred of Christmas because they don't believe Jesus is God. So as I was doing this in dripping sweat, the Holy Spirit told me, bring some of these cookies to the boss of your area of town. Now, that's problematic in three ways. Number one, because I was living under the radar, and to go straight to the big boss not exactly living under the radar. Number two, as a woman serving in Islamic context, I could not even greet a man or even look him in the eyes unless I was greeted first. And thirdly, my status in society was very shameful because I'm unmarried and I'm not producing children to contribute to society. So to go directly to a man of such honor, oh, I had to have been led of the Holy Spirit. And so the next day I brought those cookies to that man 
And I said, have you ever heard the gospel in your mother tongue? And he patted the bench next to him and he said, no, tell me. And that began a relationship that for months, every time I saw him, he'd say, Bo Kens! Nambi Hadisi Indraji, which meant, Kenzie, tell me another story. And for months, I was able to share bridge stories that would connect to the final story, which is Jesus as the last sacrifice, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And when I told him that final story, I said, do you believe this story? And he said, yes, yes, it's beautiful. And it's because of Summit's financial monthly partnership with me that this man of such honor had the honor of meeting a Christian but not just meeting a Christian, hearing the gospel in his own mother tongue, having an opportunity to be awakened to this reality. I believe that God so loves the world that he desires the unreached islands of Africa to be reached, and he desires to use us. Some of us are called to go, many of us are called to give, and all of us are called to pray. So after service, I have prayer cards. I would love to give you one if you are willing to commit to pray with me. In January, I'm going to be transitioning to a different island off the coast of Equatorial Guinea, and I'll be working with a people group that is steeped in animism and voodoo. So I need your prayers, because I believe through your prayers and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see these unreached islands of Africa awakened to the truth and the love of Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Isn't that exciting to see the next generation of missionaries going forth? I love, I love her boldness and her, her faith and trust in the Lord and her willingness to go to a place that a lot of people would not go to. And so we, we love and appreciate you, Kenzie. And tonight she's going to preach. She's going to tell some more great stories of what God's doing. So if you can tonight... Uh, be here at 6 o'clock because Kinsey's got a lot of great things to share with us. Today we're going to continue our study. Our series is called Dressed for Battle. Dressed for Battle. And God intends for all of us to be dressed for battle. Amen? Because we're in a battle. Last week we looked at, at some of the weaponry, the armor of God that He's given us. We looked at the belt of truth. And to understand that, you need to look at a Roman soldier. So we looked at the, the loin belt of a Roman soldier and what it had in its significance and what it means. And what is our truth today and what, what does the truth really mean to us? Church, we live in a time when people say truth is relative. They say your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. No. Truth is truth. This is truth. God's Word is truth. And we live according to God's truth. There are those that will fight against that. There are those that, that say if we, if we read God's Word and we teach God's Word, if we preach God's Word, and it's different from what they want to believe, then it's a hate crime. In, in several countries today, if you talk about certain aspects of Scripture from the pulpit, they'll consider it hate crime. And sadly, it's coming to our, our nation too. But church, 
we cannot compromise. Amen? We cannot compromise God's truth. And the church has been doing that. When the church started compromising in the 1960s, we took God out of our schools. We allowed the free love movement, the hippie movement to take over. Nobody stood up against it. We allowed abortion to come in. And where was the church? The church was remaining silent. And church, we can't remain silent. Because God's truth is the truth. God's truth brings that blessing of God into our lives. Today, I want to talk to you about the next point of weaponry or armor. We began this study in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3-5. through That was our launching into this study. I'm going to read it again for us. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Notice he says that we should be in war. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's speaking about the strongholds that are established by the enemy in our mind. The enemy immediately comes at a very young age, and he tries to lie to us. He tries to assault us with untruth. That's why we need to have the belt of truth on, to stand against all the lies of the enemy. We need to know the truth, because the truth sets us free. This verse also speaks about things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity. Behind those thoughts, there is a being. It's Satan and the demonic powers. They're lying. They're behind those thoughts that come towards us. And we've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But today, I want want you to join me, and I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 again. We started here last week. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we talked about truth. The truth, the belt of truth is important because why? Because it's what all the other armory was attached to. It held the the, the weapons together. It, It enabled the soldier to have a confidence that he was ready to battle. I gave an illustration last week about bringing it into our terms today, about these young guys that wear the big baggy pants that fall down to their knees. If they decide to run, what do they have to do? They have to grab their pants and hold their pants up because they don't have a belt. Our, fear, our spiritual life falls apart if we don't have the belt of truth. Amen? But I want us to look at today at the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. In order to understand the breastplate of righteousness, we again need to look at the armor of a Roman soldier. Now, not just here in Ephesians, but also in other parts of Scripture, is righteousness referred to as a breastplate. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7, it says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, 
by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, Scripture says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. You say, well, pastor, why do we need righteousness to be a breastplate? How is that armor for us? How does it defend us against the enemy? Or how does it help us to attack the enemy and take back what's been stolen? Well, the breastplate was the most beautiful part of a Roman soldier's armor. It was the part of armor that shined. It sparkled. It was made of brass normally, sometimes bronze, but it, it was usually brass, and brass was shiny. In the, in the sunlight, it would reflect the light. It would sparkle. And it was ornate. It would catch the eye of any onlooker. They would see the, the breastplate, and, and they would you know, kind of get that sparkle. If it was a bright, sunny day especially, it would, it would be almost blinding as the sun's rays would reflect off of that, that armor. And by being brass, there was something else that was very interesting because brass, when it's rubbing against itself, brass continues to, to polish itself, so to speak, and, and it would be even more brilliant and stunning. So as they wore their, their breastplate of righteousness, they would, they would wear it every day. You know, there were Roman soldiers, and, and it would just become more and more brilliant and stunning as they wore it every day. Now the breastplate would start at the top of their neck, and there were, there were two pieces of metal mainly one to, to cover the front, the chest, and one to cover the back. And then there were brass rings that held those two pieces of metal together on the shoulders. But sometimes the, the breastplate was actually made like scales where there would be different smaller pieces of metal and they would overlap like scales of a fish. That was also how some of the breastplates were, were made. Now, the, the, the breastplate also was the heaviest part of the armor. On average, it weighed about 40 pounds, sometimes as much as 70 pounds. And, and if you remember, Goliath, his armor breastplate was estimated to weigh 125 pounds. So it was, wasn't light. It was heavy. It was substantial. But it was beautiful. It was it was a part of the armor that really stood out. And so I want us to think about those things. Because a soldier, when he would go outside in the sun, not only was it there to protect him defensively from the attacks of the enemy, but in a real sense, it was a weapon in that it reflected the sun into the eyes of his enemy. Now I want you to take that and apply it spiritually to our lives. When we understand who we are in Christ, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it not only defends us from the constant attacks of the enemy, but it also, we reflect not the sun in the heavens, but the sun of the living God. Amen? And I want to do that every day of my life. According to this, we're in a battle all the time. We may not realize it, but we are. The enemy never stops coming against us. 
But church, our armor, when we're suited up in the full armor of God, it's more than enough to take care of whatever the adversary has to throw against us. Amen? It's more than enough. So we need the armor of God. It's an offensive weapon to assist us in taking back what the devil's stolen from us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Church, we need to understand that the enemy is constantly throwing those fiery darts at us. And what happens, church, let me illustrate it this way. The, the, the name devil actually comes from a Greek word, diabolos, which, which describes one who strikes again and again and again and again until he penetrates the defenses. And that's exactly what the enemy tries to do to us. It happens when you're very young. The enemy will come against you and he'll begin to lie to you. He'll tell you that you're worthless. You're worthless to God. You're worthless to man. He'll tell you you'll never amount to anything. And sometimes the devil even uses people that are in authority over us. And they'll come and they'll speak things into our life that are lies from the pit of hell. But if we don't understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then we're going to be susceptible to all those lies of the enemy. They're going to come and come and come and penetrate into our life. But when we understand that we are righteous because of Jesus and what He did on the cross, church, all the, all the hell has to throw against us is not going to penetrate our lives. It's not. We can stand against that. Why? Because we know that I didn't become righteous because of my works. I'm not righteous because I've been a good little boy all my life. That doesn't make me right with God. What makes me right with God is what Jesus did on the cross for me. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He took my sins upon Himself. Then I was imputed with His righteousness. The righteousness we have isn't what we earned. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who He is and what He did. And He said, I give you my righteousness because you have trusted and placed your faith in me. Amen? It's sad today. So many Christians struggle. They, they, they believe the lies of the enemy. They believe that they're not righteous. They believe that they're not valuable. And what happens? When we don't believe that we're righteous, then we live like we're not righteous. We live and we give in to the lies of the enemy. And church, I want you to know today, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, you've come to Him and said, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've failed. I've fallen short of the glory of God. 
And I turn from that sin. And I turn to you, Jesus. I place my faith and my trust in you. Lord, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Guess what? Scripture says we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of God's dear Son. We're not the same anymore. Amen? And we're righteous. We're righteous. That's what the Word says. I love that. I'm thankful for it. If we don't realize that we're righteous, we struggle with condemnation, guilt, and shame. And I want to ask you today, are you struggling with condemnation? Are you struggling with guilt? Are you struggling with shame in your life? Because that's not God's will for your life. Amen? Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That should settle it, church. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but that through Him the world might be saved. Amen? This this is powerful for us to understand. Because if we don't see ourselves like Christ sees us, like the Father sees us, that we have relationship with Him because of Jesus. So many times I hear Christians, they say this all the time. Well, I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace. And that's that's true. All of us are sinners saved by grace. But the Scripture goes on from that, and it tells us what? It tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we're not looking at the past and our failures, our sin. We're seeing ourselves in the breastplate of righteousness, saying, I am a son of the living God, or a daughter of the Most High God. I I have a plan of God for my life. He's going to use me. He's going to work through me. I'm here, not by accident, but I'm here because God created me. He brought me into this world, into existence, and I'm going to live for Him. I am the righteousness of God. I'm in right standing with God. Oh, come on, church. Come on. (laughs) There's far too many Christians that are living life with their head down, struggling with condemnation, guilt, and shame. And if you're here today, church, I want to encourage you, you don't have to leave this place with any condemnation, any guilt, or any shame. God wants every one of us to leave this building today knowing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 14 of this passage in Ephesians, it says, Stand therefore. The idea there is that we keep standing, that we don't give up, that we throw our shoulders back, we have our head held high, and we go forth in boldness, that we recognize who we are in Christ. We recognize the authority that we have in Jesus. We recognize that the battle was won on the cross and there's still little skirmishes. He tries to raise his head, but the ultimate victory has already been accomplished. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, 
Scripture says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The Father took the sin of the world and Jesus received it upon Himself. He paid the price. Then it says, That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Turn to somebody today and tell them, You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you have, a, have, a, have trouble receiving that? You shouldn't. Jesus paid for us to have that reconciliation, for us to have that relationship. Amen? That's where the church has to get our mindset changed, and we'll get to that in a minute. I want to read another verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul is saying, I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Another passage in Romans chapter 4. This one is speaking about Abraham. One of the things I'm asked quite frequently is, Pastor, how were people in the Old Testament before Jesus died on the cross, before they knew about Jesus, how were those people saved? And this passage answers it. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was righteous because he was looking forward to what God had promised, that God was going to send the Lamb of God. God was going to provide the sacrifice. God was going to cover his sin, take his sin. So he was looking forward to the cross where we now look back to the cross. But it's still saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Amen? When we learn that God has clothed us in this stunning, brilliant breastplate of righteousness, guess what? We don't have to receive any of the lying threats of the enemy because we're dressed for battle. We've got to be dressed for battle, church. Too many times do I see Christians struggling, thinking, well, God is never going to hear my prayer or answer my prayer because I'm not perfect. I love the word justification in the New Testament because the word justification means declared innocent as if we have never, ever sinned. Think about that. So when God declares us justified... He's saying, I don't see your sin. Your sin has been taken and placed upon my son on the cross. And what I see, church, is the righteousness of Jesus. So when God the Father hears your prayer, He's not seeing your faults and your failures that are placed upon Jesus. He's seeing the perfection of His Son. He's seeing His righteousness imputed to you. 
And church, that's powerful that we grasp that, that we, that we take that into our understanding. Correct mental attitude is of utmost importance in warfare. When you're coming into the battle, the way you think is going to determine how you respond in the battle. In fact, a Roman uh, leader, before the soldiers would go into battle, would say something like this. He would say, it would be better for you to die on the battlefield than to come back here and tell us that the enemy won. So don't return to your encampment until the enemy has been totally defeated. In other words, he's telling him, make sure you come home a winner. Amen? And guess what? We're winners in Christ. So how do we prepare for the battle? As I was talking earlier, the enemy will come and he will lie to us at a very young age. He'll lie to us. And he'll say, at a young age, somebody will come up and say, Melody, you're useless. Melody, we don't want you around. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Those are lies from the pit of hell. And guess what? If that lie penetrates into your mind, the enemy will continue to lie and reinforce that stronghold. So, if you had someone, maybe even a parent, that said you're worthless, or I didn't want you, you're an accident, those are lies from the pit of hell. Don't let them penetrate. Because what happens when they penetrate at a young age, then the next thing you know, you'll have a coach or a teacher or someone else in authority that will come to you and they'll say the same thing. They'll be influenced by the enemy and they'll say the same thing. They'll lie to you. You'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. You're no good. You'll never accomplish anything. I don't know why anybody would want you around. But church, when you have the breastplate of righteousness and you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you're going to take that garbage of the enemy and you're going to tell them, speak to the hand. Amen. Because it's a lie from the pit of hell. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And I have the righteousness of Christ. When Father sees me, He sees His Son's righteousness. I have power and I have authority over all the power of the enemy. The battle was already won on the cross. And it's going to continue to be victory after victory after victory for me. Because I'm walking and living in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Come on, church. This will change the way you live out your walk. Don't hold your head down. Get that head up. Get those shoulders back. Get ready to take on the enemy and say the battle belongs to the Lord. And I belong to Him. Don't listen to those lies that say you've done so many bad things. God can't forgive you. Don't listen to those lies that tell you God doesn't want to use you. He's got a plan for every one of us. You are special. You are precious to God.
You are here, alive, and breathing because God has a plan for your life. Amen? When the church realizes the boldness that we have in Christ Jesus and what God wants to do in our lives, then we're going to see Revival. We're going to see God move. We're going to see signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to see the hand of God. Church, we got to rise up and say, I'm suited up with the breastplate of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you go into battle and you're already emotionally and mentally defeated, guess what? That's exactly what's going to happen. There's too many Christians that are walking around believing those lies. And church, Jesus wants to set you free from those lies today. In Proverbs chapter 23 and 7, it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, you're going to walk it out. You're going to live it. So are you walking out and living as though you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Are you developing an attitude? Before warriors go into battle, guess what? They train physically, but the Roman soldiers were also training mentally. That there was no no such such thing as defeat. That they weren't going to come back to their camp having lost the battle. And church... We need to think according to God's Word, according to what He says. Developing an attitude of righteousness and what comes with that. Because when we do, there's just a divine impartation of confidence, of boldness. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Scripture says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the picture Peter's using there, again, is of a runner in a race. And he's taking his long tunic, and he's taking it, and he's stuffing it up in his belt so that he will be unencumbered and he can run the race. And so Peter's telling us there, make sure that we don't have our minds focused on all these scattered things But gird ourselves up, be sober, be thinking about God and and what He says we are and how we face the battle. That's the picture that we need to have in our minds so we won't be uh, encumbered. We're free to run the race. In Romans chapter 5 verse 17, Scripture says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Everybody say that with me. Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There's two things I want us to see there. First of all, it says through the one. Through the one. It could have just as easily said through Jesus Christ. Church, there's only one Savior. There's only one Redeemer. And the church has to rise up, not in an arrogant way, 
but in a loving way. And say, religion tears you down. Religion isn't going to fulfill you. It's a relationship with God, and He provided for that by Jesus Christ. And we have that relationship. We have His righteousness so that we can approach the Lord, so that we can come into the presence of God, come boldly to that throne of grace. The second thing I want us to see is that He says, The gift of righteousness. Righteousness isn't something, we again, we earn. It's a gift from God. But notice it says, when we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ, we will reign in life. Now that's an interesting word, reign. When you think about someone reigning, you think about a king on a throne. At least I do. And that's what it's saying. It's saying that in Christ, that we don't have to settle for anything less in this life than the rule of God ruling in us and ruling through us, and we reign in life. It's saying you don't have to let life knock you around and beat you up. That you can walk in the authority, and we walk in that authority because of the righteousness of Christ. So we can face the enemy and we can face the struggles of life. And we know that Jesus is our victory. He's going to see us through the battles and we're going to reign in life. How many want to reign in life? Church, we need to stand up and claim that. Amen. Lord, you promised me in your word that... that I'm not going to live life where life just continues to to beat me up and knock me around. I'm going to rule and reign in life because of you. I love that. When we take hold of that truth that we are the righteousness in Christ, no longer will we walk around thinking we're just little unimportant defeated people. We're going to stand. And we're going to say, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. We're soldiers of Christ. So why why do so many people seem to live defeated lives? It's because their minds have not been renewed by the Word of God. Church, you know if you've been here very long that I constantly challenge you to be in the Word of God. I constantly challenge you. To, to take notes, if you don't want to take notes in your Bible like I do, take notes in a journal. But take notes. Let God speak to you. When, you. when you come to a greater understanding, a greater revelation of God's Word, take note of that. Continue to grow and mature in the Word of God. Because it is the truth, and when we apply the truth, when we recognize we're the righteousness of God, then we're going to go into those battles, and we're not going to let the enemy win. We're going to march through to victory. Be in the Word of God. Know what the Word of God promises you. It'll bring confidence to your life. Too many times we think we're unworthy. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
When you understand what Jesus has done for you and you invite Him into your life and you are wearing the armor of righteousness, you understand you're righteous because of Him. You understand this life isn't all that there is. Amen? There is an eternity ahead. This life is so short. James says it's here and it's gone. It's a vapor. And it is short. But it's so important, the decisions that we make now, because they affect our eternity. He continues, and John does, and he says, And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Two things I want us to see there. The word confidence in the original Greek has to do with openness and boldness. So when we're praying and we understand that we're righteous, we have that breastplate of righteousness, it will change the way you pray. Too many Christians are praying defeated prayers. But when you understand who you are in Christ, then you say, Lord, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and these are the promises that you've given me and I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit believing until these promises come to pass in my life, in my situation. Amen? I've been in situations when I've been around other pastors and other uh, Christian leaders and, and there would be someone that was needing prayer and some of the prayers that I would hear them pray, you know, they, they would Dequalify it and bring doubt into it by saying, Lord, if it's your will. And I wanted to say, if you'd read the Word of God, you'd know what His will was. And when you know what His will is, according to the Word and the, that He's promised you, then you pray with all authority in the power of Jesus' name, the power of the precious blood that was shed for you. You pray according to the promise that is given to you because you are righteous. You are a son or a daughter of God. He's given you the authority to pray that way. So you pray with boldness. You pray in every situation. You come in openness. But you pray according to the will of God that He has declared to you. And you pray in boldness and in faith and say, Lord, I believe your word and I'm going to receive your word in this situation. I want to ask you, do you pray that way? Amen. Is that the way we pray? Because that's the way the Word tells us to pray. An attitude of righteousness will affect our prayer lives. But if you don't realize your righteousness, you're going to pray in a way of doubt and unbelief. So church, I just encourage you to pray in that power and that authority. One other thing I want to look at before we close. In Acts chapter 3, I love this story. In Acts chapter 3, I'm going to flip there. You know the story, it's the lame man at the beautiful gate. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Church, there's millions of people in this world that are expecting something from us as Christians. They're hurting, they're struggling, they're going through situations. They've made gods of idols and fame. The fame and fortune, those are their gods. But deep down inside, those things aren't satisfying them. It doesn't matter how great a wealth they have. It doesn't matter about you know, other things, how famous they are. But they're still empty. They're still hurting without Jesus. And church, just like John and Peter... We need to say, tell the people around us, just look at my life. Look at my life and see there is a God. Look what He's done. Look how He's blessed me. He wants to bless you too. It goes on in, in verse 5. So He gave them His attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I love that. Peter and John, they didn't have a lot of money. Silver and gold, have we none? He was looking for alms. But they said, what we do have. Church, do you know that you have something? You have something in Jesus because you've welcomed Him into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior. You have His presence in your life. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. When we open up our hearts and lives to Him and say, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Fill me with Your power, Your presence, Lord, for Your glory. That my life will make a difference. That I'll have something to give and to minister to others. And that's what they did. They knew they had the presence and the power and the authority of the Most High God in their lives. And they knew they had something to give. And so they said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee. That's the way the church needs to live life. And they're not going to see themselves in that light without knowing that they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They were confident. They had something to give. They were ready. And I love the fact in this passage, look at verse 7, and we're going to end with this. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. What I want you to see there is, he says, such as I have give I unto thee, but God didn't heal the man then. He stepped out in faith. He reached out and took the guy by his hand and pulls him up. 
And then the scripture says, immediately he was healed. (laughs) You don't get that boldness or that confidence. Thank you. You don't get that boldness or confidence unless you know who you are in Christ. But when you have that boldness, then you have that desire and that ability to say, Brother, you're healed in Jesus' name. And then you act upon that. And God honors that faith. Church, we're living in times when the world needs to see more than just good little Christian boys and girls. We're living in a time when the world needs to see soldiers for Christ. We're living in a time when the world needs to encounter such as I have, give I unto thee. Amen? That's what God's calling us to. And it begins with that breastplate of righteousness. Know that we're in right standing with God. That we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That we can walk in His anointing and His authority and His power. That we are equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in this world. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I'm going to close with that. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come in the front and then the back. And if you're in the middle of a battle, if you need a victory today, or if you struggle with feelings of being inferior, if you struggle with feeling like you're condemned by the enemy, if you're struggling, church, and you feel guilt or shame in your life because of things in your past, don't leave without giving it to Jesus and having Him set you free. Amen. And if you're here today and you've never made that commitment to Jesus, church, there's no better day than right now to say, Lord, I want to make things right with you. Amen. So stand with me and I'm going to pray and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And if you'd like prayer today, I just want to encourage you to come. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for everyone that's here today. Lord, I know that it's not an accident. And Lord, I just bless them today. Lord, I I pray for your protection upon each and every one of us. Lord, protection in every way. Protection from the fiery darts of the enemy. And Lord, protection in the physical realm as well with the harm and the violence in in the world today and also the virus. Lord, we just ask for the precious blood of Jesus to cover our lives, to protect us, Lord, to cleanse us afresh, to empower us and strengthen us. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you are raising up the church right now. Lord, I know without a doubt there are those today that are going to walk out of this auditorium knowing that they have the breastplate of righteousness Lord, that they're wearing that. Lord, that it's shining the bright light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Lord, that they're going to take back what the enemy has stolen, Lord, through you, through your strength, through your ability. Lord, I just bless each and every one of them today. In Jesus' glorious name.
worship team begins to play, if you have any need today, we have prayer team at the front, some at the back as well, and they would love to pray with you. Maybe you have a a friend or a family member that doesn't know Christ and you want to pray for them. Whatever your need is today, we want to spend just a couple of minutes and just bring that to Jesus. See your victory. I'm gonna see your victory. 